My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. We're in Mark chapter 16, getting into the text today. I'm excited about that. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, flip over there if you would. Um, I think the plan is to cover the first few verses today. Uh, Miss Amy Vlosen, I am so pumped. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year, I know that for sure. Uh, she's on tap to speak for us next week. And uh, I tried to find a cute way to say that, and I, I couldn't land on it. So somebody will help me this through the lesson today. But we're going to end Mark's gospel, where I, where I actually think Mark's gospel ends with verse 8, uh, the way Mark ends it, with the female influence. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of neat, huh? That's kind of neat. All right. <laughs> no pressure, that's right. No pressure. You've got to land the plane. It's okay. <laughs> the tomb is empty. That's the important part at this point. All right, so in Mark chapter 16, um, we're going to go through our process. If you, if you didn't grab a handout on the way in, you might want to grab one. I'm making references to several things on the handout today. Uh, you can also find those at OurSundaySchool.com. Uh, so feel free to go there to grab one. But we're going to walk through... Uh, and we'll, we'll talk just a, a smidge about uh, 1 through 8 verses 9 through 20. Uh, but I, I want to plant a seed today for, Lord willing, two weeks from today and really press hard into that concept of variance in the alternate endings because we've, I've, I've tried to lay the groundwork for the first <laughs> 161 weeks. Uh, so that we would not lose our ever-loving minds when we got to the end of Mark uh, and understand how this stuff actually works. So, so if you've got questions, if you've got comments, if you've got thoughts, if you've got things you've been praying about, thinking about, uh, really lean in and, and engage in a couple of weeks on that. I would love to uh, talk through that. So let's uh, read through all of Mark chapter 16. And uh, as I did last week, I will read verses 9 through 20. Uh, even though in the ESV they have double brackets around them, which is kind of like, you know, caution, we're mm, about this. So let's read Mark chapter 16. So when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And then the disputed text, verses 9 through 20. Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, and they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. 
Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by many accompanying signs. So Mark chapter 16. So I said just a second ago, we're going to walk through the first few verses here in Mark chapter 16. So let's look at verse 1. So when the Sabbath was passed, let's let's make sure we're crystal clear on what what we're talking about, what we're not talking about. So what, what day of the week was Sabbath? You sure? Is it, is it our Saturday? It's Friday evening. Friday at sunset. Yeah, so Friday at sunset to our Saturday at sunset, right? So this is where the, you know, you, it, everything's like, you know, take your concept of time and rotate it a few hours, and now we've got the Jewish concept of time, right? So when the Sabbath was passed, so what time is that and on our clocks? On what day of the week? Saturday. On Saturday, right? So it's Saturday, late afternoon, sun's going down. When the sun goes down, Sunday for the Jewish calendar would begin. So this is, this is the, um, uh, I, I, have, I should have looked at the message translation. Uh, I'd be curious whether they say Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning in the Jewish, you know, how would you, how do you put this colloquially, right? So when the Sabbath was passed, and then we get three people that are listed here. So Mary Magdalene. Have we seen Mary Magdalene before in Mark's Gospel? Yes. Where have we seen her before in Mark's Gospel? At the cross, right. Where else? No, not in Mark's Gospel. It's on your handout. <laughs> The brackets actually do have information that is helpful, believe it or not, yes. <laughs> so we've got her in uh, uh, 1540, 1547, 16.1, and then 16.9. So let's look at 1540 for just a second. So what, what's going on? There were also women looking on from a distance. This is immediately after the centurion says, truly this man is the son of God, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of who? James the younger and of Joseph, Joseph, and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So that's the first time we see this trio. The second time we see this trio, or the second time we see Mary Magdalene, is you skip on down to Mark 15, 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Right? So they saw him die. They saw him be laid in the tomb. And then... Uh, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, the mother of who? In verse 16.1, mother of James. And how she described in verse 15.47, Mary, the mother of Joseph. Joseph. You're like, wait, is this the same person? Okay, let's back up and look at 1540. 
Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph. All right. Cool. So we've got a couple of different ways to describe what we think pretty clearly is the same person. So why would we describe the same person different ways? All right, so let's, let's rewind for just a second. I, I've asked you this question, I think, two or three times in our uh, unconsciously long series. Um, was Mark one of the 12 apostles? No. Fan, I love the authoritative, I know this answer, and I will say it clearly. With a fantastic announcer voice, even. It's just like, like I wish I had that. I can do that if I change the settings on this thing enough, but not just au natural into the universe, right? It's fantastic. It's a gift. It is a gift. It's a, it's a wonderful gift. You're exactly right. Um, so we've, uh, I forgot now what I was talking, oh yeah, was Mark a, sorry, I got so enamored with the voices there. So Mark was not one of the 12, right? In all the lists of the 12 apostles, Mark's name does not show up. How do we think Mark got what he wrote? Talked about this several times. He was with somebody in a city. He was with Peter in, say it, Rome. Yes, that's right. He was with Peter in Rome. So at the end of Peter's ministry, Mark is there. Remember, bring John Mark, for he's profitable for me. Um, you know, this whole relational wonkiness had kind of gotten sorted out. So Mark is listening to different inputs to write his gospel. And the, the most most of the commentators would say something akin to Peter was not the only person that Mark would have talked to. Remember, these guys wrote letters to each other. They hung out together. They would travel with each other. They talked to lots of different people. So Mark would have had an opportunity to see and engage with several different people who were there. So what he's doing, when you see him record things slightly differently, we think what he's doing is he's passing on what he's heard and documenting it accordingly which is additional levels of accuracy. Because the last thing, the very last thing that any lawyer wants in court is a series of witnesses who say the exact same words. That's called witness tampering, <laughs> right? Because we've all memorized, maybe you've ever seen the Manchurian candidate, right? I mean, this is the, you say the exact same word, like something feels off about this. I don't think this is right. Something's weird here. Yeah, so we, we actually want some variation in the reporting because everybody's going to have a different perspective they would have seen and focused on different things. All right, so we've got Mary Magdalene. We've got Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. Now, Salome only shows up twice in Mark's gospel. Where does she not show up? Sorry, I just thumped the mic. Um, where does she not show up in the list of three? When they saw where he was laid, right? So Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph saw where he was laid, but Salome didn't necessarily see that. You're like, okay. So now we have somebody else who can attest to part of the story. This is really good. Again, you, if, you, if all three of them were, this is an opportunity for collusion. But now you've got somebody who was there for parts. Well, I can attest to this and I can attest to this. Well, that's good. I think it's actually helpful that they can attest to the beginning and the end. So we've got these three ladies. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices. All right. So if you are purchasing something, what does it imply that you have? Money. Money. Okay, good. 
Now we've gotten to it. Like, yes, this is a universal truth. If you purchase something, it seems like you have something to purchase with. So let's flip over to Luke chapter 8. Just to remind ourselves real quick. Luke chapter 8. We'll look at verses 1 through 3. Hello, Miss Nancy Miller and Tim Archer. Good to have you all with us this morning. I've realized I've forgotten to say hello to the people online, so they're not in the room, so that's all right. It's just like I'm getting feedback off my iPad here. So Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. So soon afterward, he, he hears Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Right? So if you ever have wondered, like, who was the funding arm of Jesus' earthly ministry? It's these ladies who traveled and supported him. Like, that's, that's how the disciples primarily were, at least in this portion of Israel, that's how they were funded. So when it talks, when the text in Mark 16 talks about Mary Magdalene the mother, and Mary the mother of uh, James and Salome bought spices, that is consistent with what we know about their financial history from another gospel. So again, another attestation from another eyewitness that, okay, yeah, this is, this is a consistent story. All right, so they go and they buy spices that they might go and anoint him. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something here that's going to sound like I am undoing and walking back something I have said before about the faithfulness of these women and don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay? But if you're bringing spices to anoint someone, is that some, in this situation, is that someone dead or is that someone alive? Dead. Dead. So they're under the mindset, we need to go and anoint the body. Now, why did they believe that they would need to go and anoint the body? I saw him die, right? Good. But like, the next person that dies in my life, I'm not going and buying spices and showing up at the funeral home. It's a different culture, right? Right. So what was their culture? Didn't smell the decay. That's exactly right. Now, what time of year is this? Yeah, it's about this time of year, actually. It may have even actually been this day. I don't know. But it's pretty close to this time of year. So you've got cooler mornings. You've got warmer afternoons. And Jesus dies when? Friday afternoon, they're showing up to the tomb Sunday morning. If you're not familiar with bodies, that is plenty of time for there to be a smell. Plenty. Now, we know because we've already looked at another gospel, has somebody already dealt with the anointing issue? Yes, who did? Uh, in his gospel, yes. But who was the person that brought the... Who, who was it? Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus brought 
75 pounds. <laughs> and you're like, what did he think? <laughs> like, when you, if, you, if you go back and you read like first century accounts of how much spice and ointment you need, nowhere, I mean, this is an order of magnitude more than you would need, right? It was massive, massive, massive amount. However, Nicodemus was in the ruling council. He was on the Sanhedrin. He would have been very likely a wealthy person. He, would have, he could have afforded to kind of like, let's go overboard, right? I don't know if you've ever been around a really rich person and they just go lavishly overboard on something and you're like, you really don't know how to spend your money, do you? Like that was, <laughs> was kind of odd. Well, this is, the, this is almost the Nicodemus response here. Now, the interesting thing, the interesting thing is that if the women saw him die and they saw him get buried, a legitimate question to ask is, how did they not see Nicodemus do this? I don't know. But I'm guessing they weren't staring the entire time. And Nicodemus, as few can remember from the song, was what? A wee little man. Yes. Might have been easy to sneak past somebody. There was a lot going on. Remember, this is, what's that? That was Zacchaeus. Dadgummit. That worked so well, too. <laughs> oh, there it is. You didn't hear that online. Dave Barber said I came up short. So that's fantastic, yes. So thank you for somebody following along with the awful joke. And thank you for somebody actually knowing the Bible. So there's that. There we go. Yeah, so, so we're, we're not entirely sure why Mary and uh, Mary didn't see Nicodemus, but Nicodemus had actually already done this, uh, which is, it's, it's so cool. The, the people that God uses after Jesus' death are not the people you would expect from reading through the Gospels. You are not going to expect two members of the Sanhedrin to show up and care about the dead body and make sure it's buried according to Jewish custom. You are not going to expect, because they really aren't mentioned that often. Like, the text I just read you in Luke is pretty much a great big chunk of the testimony that the women have throughout the actual ministry of Jesus Christ before the resurrection. Like that's, the, that's the biggest chunk in the gospel of what they were up to and what they were doing. So you would not expect them to be the... But if you've ever read the Bible, you get an awful lot of what you don't expect. Right? I wouldn't expect God himself to bridge the gap that man created because of man's sin. I wouldn't expect God himself to leave heaven to go and engage in all of this mess to save us. I wouldn't expect to God to do so. Like almost every single page in the scripture, you can go, I didn't see that coming. I don't think that's what I would expect it. It's this beautiful, beautiful story again and again and again of I wouldn't expect that, I wouldn't expect that, I wouldn't expect that. Now, in every single commentary that I read on this text, the spices so that they might go and anoint him, there was some variation of this sentence. The women were too late, not because of the stink, but because of his absence. And that's just awesome. Right. Talk about not getting what you didn't, like, I, he's been saying over and over and over, and even in Mark's gospel, which is like the, if there was a redacted version of the gospel, I mean, it's Mark, right? This is as short as it gets. Over and over and over in Mark's gospel, they're going to torture me, they're going to do this, they're going to crucify me, and in three days, I will rise. In three days, I will rise. In three days, I will rise. Over and over and over again. 
and yet they brought spices. So I don't want to, I'm not throwing them under the bus, right? Please don't hear that. They showed up. You know what? I'd have very likely, I'd have very likely, almost certainly been huddled up with the 11, scared out of my mind, worrying what the Romans were about to find us, right? Because my rabbi just got crucified for what Pilate believed to be was insurrection. So who are they coming after next, right? There is, there is uh, if, if you read like, commentators in the last 10 years, you see a lot of trauma and PTSD language that are woven into what these folks would have been experiencing. Like Mary Magdalene, whose life was irrevocably changed from the casting out of seven demons, just saw the man that she'd been following tortured and brutally killed and buried. And we're maybe 36 hours later at this point. There, this is not a stable, like everything's great, it's Sunday, let's go to meeting. No, 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 no. It's a catastrophe. Everything has fallen apart. What are we going to do? Well, I know that the body is supposed to be anointed. We didn't see that happen. Let's go take care of that. Like, don't miss the beauty in that act of service. That is, that is just stunningly, stunningly gorgeous. That's verse 1. Verse 2. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen. You're like, okay. So they bought spices sat, like our, our day, Saturday evening. The next morning, and you can, you can go through and look at uh, the different Gospels. The different Gospels, almost all of them have like a slightly different phrasing of this, but they all reconcile. Like there is not a chronological issue with the way the Gospels describe this. So very early, uh, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, and, and this, is, like, this is classic Mark language. When you say something and then you say it, a slightly different way, and then you say it in a slightly different, you're like, we got it, man. Like, we, I understand how what this is going. So Mark does all this, this wonky repetition of things. But this word for the sun had risen, that word only shows up one other time in Mark's gospel. Let's flip over to Mark chapter 4, verse 6. So this is the section where Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower, right? So the sower goes out, he sows seed, the seed's the same, but the, 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 the area on which the seed falls is different, right? So we've got the, uh, in verse 4, some seed fell along the path, the birds came and devoured it. Verse 5, other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. Verse 6, and when the sun rose, that's the word, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. You telling me you think it's an accident? Mark uses that word for withered away when the eleven have scattered and ran. I don't think it's an accident. I think Mark is linking these two concepts here. Like the sun just came out, right? All the power and the might of the Roman Empire just came raining down on Jesus' head. 
So very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Do you see the contrast Mark is drawing here? Who is not there? Who is there? He's making this as plain as it can be for us that who you would expect is not there and who you would not expect is there. Verse 3, and they were saying, this is an imperfect tense, so this is repeatedly saying, just over and over and over, repeatedly saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now, let me ask you this question, and I believe this question has a definitive answer. Who should have been rolling away the tomb for these women? Specifically who? The 11, right? Like, Jesus had a lot of disciples. I want to make sure we're really clear. Who will roll away? Who will roll away? Let me say this another way. Where are the men who should be here? You can go to almost any church in America, and the number of women in the room will almost always exceed the number of men in the room. Almost always. It's not a new phenomenon. It's something quite old. So they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone? This word stone has an interesting history in Mark's gospel. The first time it shows up is in Mark 5, 5. Flip over there for just a second. You should just be a page or two off. Now, it's going to be tempting because we're talking about tombs here and we're talking about tombs in Mark chapter 16 to think that these, this is the same place. This is not the same place geographically. Okay, So just we'll say that. So verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Like this is Mark going, this is as weird as it gets, guys, right? Because I don't... Do you know anybody that not hangs out, not visits frequently, not checks in on someone who is buried there, but lives in a graveyard? Like, that is a high bar for uh, something is not right. Okay? Like a very, very high bar. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, which implies that they've been trying, not even with a chain. They tried that, didn't work. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. Do you want to be the person that goes and tries again? Well, he ripped them off last time. Hard pass. <laughs> right? Not interested. No one had the strength to subdue him. That is actually not a true statement. He's about to meet the man who could subdue him. <laughs> Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. 
the first time this word stone shows up in Mark's gospel, it's something that the devil has invaded this man's body with a demon and is using stones to mar the imago Dei, to, to harm the image of God. And at the end of the book, what is the stone doing? The stone is hiding the Son of God. So we've got marring at the beginning. We've got hiding at the end. It's interesting what Mark is doing here. Mark 12, verse 10 is the next time stone shows up in Mark's gospel. This is in the middle of the parable of the tenants. Have you not, this is Jesus speaking here, have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Who's this stone that the builders rejected? That's Jesus, right? And it has become the cornerstone. And oh, by the way, we moved a stone in the process of showing who the cornerstone was. It's like, come on now. He's just showing off at this point. It's crazy. Mark 13, the beginning of Mark 13. As he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. It's so shiny. It's beautiful. Right? And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be here left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This prophesying about what's going to happen. And then the last time the stones are mentioned is in Mark chapter 15. When we get the testimony of Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph. We see Joseph of Arimathea, who we know was not by himself. And it is actually evidenced by the pronoun. Um, it is evidenced by the pronoun. I'm sorry, hang on. I lost it. I've lost it, sorry. But we've got this stone rolled against the entrance of the tomb in 1546. So we've got the marring the Imago Dei, the rejection of Jesus Christ, this future prophecy, and this attempt to hide, to cover up, to restrict the entrance of the tomb. Now, we talked before about the purpose of the stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. So what was the purpose of the stone that was rolled in front of the tomb? Keep off grave robbers, right? Because dead bodies had value. As, as, like in, as weird as that is to my everyday life, like I, I'm going to actively pay someone to not deal with so that I don't have to deal with a dead body. Not, let's go, let's go get a dead body. It's like, ah, it's not my cup of tea, for sure. So, warding off grave robbers, what else? Wildlife. Wildlife, yes. Animals are hungry. And as domesticated as we think our culture is today, in and around even Chattanooga, you can see stuff that you go, whoa. Like, we should go indoors for a minute or go get a weapon and protect ourselves because, you know, there's this thing running around and this is not good. And this, this would have been vastly more so at this point in history. 
What was this stone doing? Was there anything else involved in this particular stone? He was sealed, right. And it was put there, who, what was put there in front of him? A couple of guards, right? Why? It's a resurrection! He's gone! It's like, no, no, they put Roman guards there to make sure that nobody could testify to that. And when, when Mary and Mary and Salome get to the tomb, where are the guards? This is not in the text. I'm going to step over here. I think they were running away for fear of retribution from the Roman Empire because they had just spectacularly failed at their assignment. (laughs) And the tomb is empty, right? There would have been the death penalty for them as a result of not protecting this body that was a direct order from Pilate. Like, their lives are now null and void. If I'm in that situation, I'm going to take Jesus' advice from earlier in Mark. We're going to head to the hills, <laughs> and we're going to go as fast as we can. And hopefully I've got like a go bag ready, because, and if we don't, we'll figure it out on the way, because the whole Roman army is about to come after me because I did not do what I was commanded to do. So that is where we are through verse 3 in Mark chapter 16. Did that check it? Excellent. Good. All right. I'm excited. So, um, so Lord willing, this MEV will pick up next week with 16.4. And uh, I am so happy about that. I'm so happy about that. Uh, I do have, I want to point your attention real quick to the weekly update. Uh, this one I have actually written on. So I want to share uh, three prayer requests, if I can, with you real quick. Uh, so one is for Miss Amy V this week as she prepares. Yes. Uh, two is uh, I mailed a letter. <laughs> it was kind of a funny letter with an attachment <laughs> last week uh, to Holman Bible Publishers and uh, asking them for permission to quote the entire text of Philippians in our next series. So this is like six months worth of handouts for our Sunday school. Um, I would appreciate you guys praying that either they say yes or some other publisher says yes so that we can pick a Bible translation and quote it and use it and make the handouts really, really easy. So that would be really helpful for me. Uh, And then, and Mom, thanks for being here today. I appreciate that. Uh, I finished yesterday. This will be the, uh, it's, there's no formatting to this, so it'll be a lot longer and prettier and all that later, but... Uh, This is our uh, talking about the Bible series that I have turned into a, it's not a book. It's like 10,000 words. It's a a booklet, right? An extended pamphlet. I don't know. Whatever. Is there a term for this? Like 10,000 words and a booklet. Booklet sounds good, right? So this will be something small. um, And we will likely go through this uh, as soon as we finish Mark uh, before we get into Philippians. So that'll be the next sequencing, I think. June will probably be talking about the Bible, uh, refresh, deep dive, really soaking through the different steps. Uh, and then, Lord willing, maybe July time frame, starting uh, Philippians. So I am excited about all of that. But, uh, and I have never been six months ahead on studying before in my entire life for anything. So there's that. <laughs> 
uh, but I would appreciate your prayers on that. So if you would, make sure your name is at the bottom of the handout so we can take attendance this morning. Uh, if you've got any prayer requests for this week only, there's a section for that. There's a section for uh, new prayer requests that, that will be ongoing that I would add to the right-hand side. So pick a section, pray over those. Uh, and if you look at the upcoming events, the DV there is Lord willing. So Amy's next week. I've got the next three weeks, but that May 29th, we're going to do a review of Mark, and we're going to partay. Okay? So cake, balloons, streamers, I don't know, whatever. It, it'll be a mess to clean up is all I know, so it'll be all right. But uh, for those of you that are interested in coming, May 29th will be a party Sunday because after 100 and I think it's 166 weeks, we deserve a party, dang it. So we're going to have a party. <laughs> all right, so that's the lesson for today. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, pray as a table, and after you have finished praying, you are free to go and worship the one who is not in the tomb. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.